Billy Graham said that when people show courage, the spines around them are stiffened. We see that with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They saw Daniel's courage. Remember, Daniel purposed in his heart that he wouldn't eat the king's food or drink the king's wine. And his friends followed suit. They said, we're going to follow you, Daniel. We're going to do what you are doing because we want to serve God too. Then when the king had a dream and he didn't know the interpretation of it and he didn't tell them the dream, Daniel went back and prayed for wisdom and he and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, prayed with him. These experiences served Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego well because there was a point where Daniel must have been off on assignment somewhere in the kingdom and there was a gold statue set up and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood tall and they said, Even if you throw us in the fiery furnace, we will not bow down. Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he does not, we still will not bow down. We are beginning today in Acts chapter 17, verse 1. And one thing that you notice about the Apostle Paul as you read and study through the book of Acts is that he is consistent. He said in his epistles, I have come to preach Christ and Christ crucified. And indeed, he did. At one point in the book of Acts, we read that he is... he said that he was the innocent of the blood of all men because everywhere he went, he shared the gospel. And he also said that all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So we see a continuous pattern in Paul's life where he shares the gospel and there's persecution, but rather than it leading to him shutting down, and not sharing the gospel anymore, it usually fostered an expansion of the gospel message. And so it is so great that we will see this pattern repeated in today's passage. And so as we open the word today, uh, Just keep that in mind. I'm going to open in a word of prayer and then we will begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's just as true today as it was when it was written down. We thank you for the ability to travel with Paul on these missionary journeys. We pray that we would be enriched from our study today. And I pray that if there be anyone who does not yet know Jesus in a personal way, that today would be the day of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, my first point, if you're taking notes, um, today we're talking about Paul sharing Christ in Thessalonica and Berea. And if you're taking notes, my first point is Paul remains committed to preaching the gospel. So let's look at Acts 17 
verses 1 to 4. Acts 17, 1 to 4, and they read, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. So we want to point out just a, I want to point out just a couple of things here. First of all, the the verse two is very telling to me because it says, "And Paul, as his manner was." Remember, immediately following his conversion, even before his sojourn in the desert with our Lord, he went into the synagogue and preached Christ. He was fired up. He was ready to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The next thing I would say is that this flies in the face of people that will tell you that Peter and Paul preached different gospels. Yes, Paul was called to the Gentiles, but he still went to the synagogue and preached to the Jews. And evidently, there were a fair number of proselytes in the synagogue, Greeks it mentions here, who believed. Isn't it interesting that often when it comes to the things of the Lord, it is not God's chosen people who believe, but rather the Gentiles. Remember when Jesus said, I have not found so great faith even in all Israel. He was talking to a Roman soldier who had faith that his servant could be healed. When he talks to the Phoenician woman, he says, go your way, your faith has made your daughter whole. He says, I've come to the lost sheep of Israel. And she says, but master, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. As my dad likes to say, they're delicious crumbs. And I'm thankful for my Lord Jesus, in whom there is no Jew nor Greek. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And as Paul prayed, it is my desire that all Israel would be saved and come to know the Messiah. Jesus Christ. See, they're waiting for a Messiah that has already come. And so I so appreciate ministries like Jews for Jesus who are trying to make sure that they know that. I w- and then we continue to see here, Paul is opening and alleging. Alleging is a legal term. You know, if you watch a crime drama on TV, you say... Allegedly, this occurred. The defendant is allegedly guilty of this. Paul is giving the evidence for Christ, and he says that he must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, 
and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is the Christ. You know, a lot of people talk about God today. You start talking about Christ and they get nervous. But my friends, it's all about Jesus. And then, of course, he gets fruit. Some believed, and they consorted with Paul and Silas, and a great multitude of the Greeks followed him, and of the chief women, not a few. So apparently there were many women there. Remember when we were in Philippi, there was no synagogue, but apparently here in Thessalonica, there was. And so that's where Paul goes. He seeks out people who are seeking after God. Because Jesus said, if you seek me, you will find me. I have this note that I found, and it says, when we study the journeys of Paul in the book of Acts, we're not just reading the travel log of a man, we're observing the redemptive plan of God unfolding as he promised. Through the ministry of Saul of Tarsus, God's mission to reclaim his creation from the death group of evil would move to its next stage. The plan of his mission was outlined in the Lord's promise at his ascension, where he said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. First, in Jerusalem, stage 1, Acts 2-7. to Second, in Judea and Samaria, stage 2, Acts 8-12. to And third, even to the remotest parts of the earth, stage 3, Acts 13-28. to And that is a note from Charles Swindoll. And I, I like the way this is all unfolding because it is Jesus' promise being fulfilled. And how did he, how did he accomplish that promise. He accomplished it through persecution. If there was no persecution in Jerusalem, would they have fled to other parts of the earth? Probably not. But persecution allowed the gospel to grow. And then it's pointed out that the first verse of this chapter is an extraordinary example of economy of writing. It sounds like a pleasant stroll, but in point of fact, Philippi was 33 Roman miles from Amphibolus. Amphibolus was 30 miles from Ampollonia, and Ampollonia was 37 miles from Thessalonica. A journey of over 100 miles is discussed in one sentence. So Dr. Luke is really summarizing for us here. Unlike in The Lord of the Rings, if you read J.R.R. Tolkien, he spends chapter upon chapter talking about how they're walking and walking and walking and walking. Luke does us the favor of putting it all in one sentence. Um, but I just like the power of this. Because this is the gospel. We get so caught up in unimportant things or we, we miss the important things. But this is the gospel that Christ died according to the scriptures, was buried according to the scriptures, and rose again according to the scriptures. You see, if he didn't rise, Paul said we would be of all men most miserable. But and now indeed Christ is risen. Can we look by way of cross-reference at a couple passages? First in Acts chapter 9, verse 20, and 1 Thessalonians 9 and 10. But first Acts 9, verse 20. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he 
Son of God. So this is the first passage that I was talking about, that he preached Christ in the synagogues, and we still see Paul having that ha habit of he goes to a new city, he finds the synagogue, and he preaches Christ. And then let's look at 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, and 10. First Thessalonians one, nine, and ten. For they themselves report the kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God, and to wait for his son from heaven when he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. So Paul, after his ministry in Thessalonica, will write them two letters, at least. And we, we have them here in our Bible. He, he's writing them to encourage them in the faith. And he says, you turn from idols to serve the living God. It is ingrained into the human psyche to be a servant. The question is not whether you will be a servant. The question is, what will you or who will you serve? And thanks be to God, for those of us who have been redeemed, we can say that we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the historical sketch of an Ohio church, one can read with interest how a Bible with raised letters was presented in 1863 to a blind organist. Walter L. Campbell, in the words of the presentation spoken or written by the pastor of the church, it expressed the following pious wish. May the precious truths of the gospel of Christ be your comfort in life, your support in death, and your portion in eternity. How well and truly was that spoken, the gospel of Christ to him that believes it and who humbles his heart and mind before the majesty of Christ's atonement for sin is our comfort in life, our stay in support in death, and in eternity, our sure and everlasting portion. So our second point is persecution ensues. Where there is success in the Christian life, there is persecution. I remember um, times where there was mountaintop experiences, like going to camp and feeling so close to God, and then coming home and, and feeling the withdrawal of that, like the devil's ready to pounce when we've had a wonderful spiritual time. And so we'll, we'll see that in this passage, that now Paul's had this fruitful time in Thessalonica, and he's going to face persecution. So, Acts 17, 5-9. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, They have turned the world upside down. They that have turned the world upside these that have turned these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. 
And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. So we see here that the unbelieving Jews moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the Bathsheba sort and gathered a company to go against the Apostle Paul. I think it's very clear here that our sin will make us justify untruth. And so these lewd people are hearing the gospel and the Bible says that the word of God is a, is a like a double-edged sword, and that it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's said that this book, the Bible, will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. One of two choices. And these people were convicted, but they had to be away from the presence of God, and they knew that the presence of God was with Paul and Silas, and so they... To go after them. And isn't it interesting that they use the same argument that the Pharisees used when they killed Jesus? What did the Pharisees say? They said, We have one king, and that is Caesar. And they told Pilate, his own people told Pilate, If you do not kill Jesus, you are not Caesar's friend. And so we have in this passage, they're, they're saying again um, that there is another king, one Jesus. The fact of the matter is that Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so Paul was encouraging these people to follow Jesus. And so they got them removed and the, the people of Jason's household helped Paul and Silas escape. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one God in heaven. We read in Deuteronomy, the Lord our God is one God. God says, I'm a jealous God. I will not share my glory with another. There's no room for a second God. And so Paul is saying, this is, this is your Christ. This is your Messiah that you've been praying for, that you've been hoping for. And now you're rejecting him. What sobering words for us to make sure that God is first in our life. God is already Lord of all, but we have a personal decision to make as to whether He will be the Lord of our lives. John MacArthur writes, 
John MacArthur writes, those who, cur who courageously proclaim the right message and win converts will face conflict. Success will be accompanied by opposition. Paul and his companions were no exception. The unbelieving Jews at Thessalonica were enraged by the success of the gospel because they loved darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. Becoming jealous and taking some wicked men from the marketplace, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. Ironic, the very, ironically, the very thing they accused the missionaries of doing. And we see that today. People get violent in the name of peace. They violently tell you that you should be a peaceful person. Let's look by way of cross-reference at John 11, 47 and 48. John 11, 47 and 48. So we, we see that these people are, are going after Paul because of envy. And that's the same thing that they did with Jesus. As my dad pointed out, the Pharisees never openly opposed the resurrection. They just opposed Jesus. They were not concerned that Jesus was a false teacher so much as they were concerned that he took their place in the hearts of the men and women that they served and were leaders over. And Paul affir and Jesus affirmed their leadership. Remember he said, he said, do what they tell you to do. Doing what they tell you to do is a good thing, but don't do as they do. And then he said to them, about them, your lips profess me, but your hearts are far from you. So we have a situation here where these Jews fail to be open to their Messiah. Their eyes are blinded. And so they react out of envy and they force Paul and Silas to leave the city. Pastor J.H. Crowell, when about 16, shipped on a sailing vessel where he was the only Christian in a crew of 12. Before leaving his mother, he promised to meet her three times a day at the throne of grace. So regularly he went below and prayed aloud. He thought he must. They threw wood at him and poured buckets of water over him, but they could not put out the fire in his soul. Then they tied him to the mast and laid 39 stripes on his back. Still he prayed. They tied a rope around his body and threw him overboard. He swam as best he could, and when he took hold of the side of the ship, they pushed him off with a pole. At last his strength gave way, and supposing they meant to kill him, he prayed that God would forgive them, and called out, Send my body to my mother and tell her that I died for Jesus. He was then pulled on deck on conscience, but after some time came to. Conviction began to seize the sailors before, before night, Two of them were gloriously converted. 
Inside of a week, everyone on board, including the captain, was blessedly saved. And that's from the Sunday School Times. Billy Graham said that when people show courage, the spines around them are stiffened. We see that with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They saw Daniel's courage. Remember, Daniel purposed in his heart that he wouldn't eat the king's food or drink the king's wine. And his friends followed suit. They said, we're going to follow you, Daniel. We're going to do what you are doing because we want to serve God too. And when the king had a dream and he didn't know the interpretation of it and he didn't tell them the dream, Daniel went back and prayed for wisdom and he and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, prayed with him. These experiences served Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego well because there was a point where Daniel must have been off on assignment somewhere in the kingdom and there was a gold statue set up and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood tall and they said, even if you throw us in the fiery furnace, we will not bow down. Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he does not, we still will not bow down. I believe that they learned from Daniel's wisdom and courage. And it became their own. We talk about peer pressure usually in a bad way, but we need to be positively peer pressuring each other. We need to be exhorting one another so much more as we see the day approaching. And what we see here is, like so many other times, you would think on a human level, if this happened to me, I might be like, I'm going to pack up and go home, take a rest, but Paul doesn't do it. Paul and Silas leave and they go to a place called Berea. And we will see what happens in Berea as we read Acts 17, 10 to 15. Acts 17.10 says, And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. There it is again. Twice in our passage, first in Thessalonica, then in Berea, where do they go? The synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. Therefore many of them believed also of honorable women which were Greeks and of men not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither and stirred up the people and then immediately the brethren sent Paul to go as it were to the sea, but Silas and Timothy abode there still. So these men that were stirring up trouble went the equivalent, I believe, of 50 miles 
just so they could try to stir up similar trouble in Berea. That's bitterness. Perhaps that's why the Apostle James says to us, Receive with, with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul, lest a root of bitterness grow up. I know what it's like to be bitter. I was a bitter young teen. But the word of God brought me through that time. Because the word of God has power. The Bible tells us that the word of God is living. And I can testify to that throughout my life. But we see some things about the Bereans. It says they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Now we know that Paul held those in Thessalonica in high regard, as we read earlier. But it says they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. I exhort you to search the scriptures to see if the things that I tell you are so, because the things that I have to say are not important. I'm just a man. But the things that God has to say are of utmost importance. And the result of them searching the scriptures was finding what? That it was true. Because it says, therefore, which means... If there's a therefore, there's a reason that it's there for. And the reason that it's there for is that they search the scriptures daily to see if the things that Paul and Silas were saying was true, or that Paul was saying was true, and they discovered that it was. So therefore, many of them believed of honorable women which were Greeks and of men not a few. So, again, God is blessing their work. They were sent there. They went there because of persecution in Thessalonica. And yet God is blessing their work. God brings blessing out of persecution. When William Tyndale was burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English, what was his desire? His desire was that the plowboy know as much of God as the priest. And indeed, the Bible says we are all priests and kings to our God. And yet the priests of his day had a similar attitude of the Pharisees of the Bible when they said, we don't want the people reading the Bible. And William Tyndale prayed as he was being burnt at the stake, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. And after he died, the King James Bible was commissioned. And we still benefit from it today. Isn't it wonderful how all of the attempts to stop the truth of the gospel have failed? The devil thought that crucifying Jesus 
would be enough. But God just counted into three. And Jesus fulfilled his promise. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man will be three three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And it was true. And he's alive. He's alive for you and me. John Butler says of of the Bereans, that is a better reception than we are giving the word in our country. Our courts, instead of receiving the word, are forbidding it in our schools. And the biblical nativity scenes on government property and are assaulting the Ten Commandments from being placed on government property. Unlike Berea, there is little welcome of the word in our land. I don't often think about it in those terms. I still rejoice in the freedom that I have to preach the word of God. But it's kind of like the frog in the boiling water. We are losing more and more and more respect for God as a country. And then we scratch our heads at the chaos that results and say, why is there chaos? We need to remember what the psalmist said. I will look unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh even from the Lord who has made heaven and earth. You think that if God made the heavens and the earth, he might have something to say with what we do while we're here? I think so. Can we look at Proverbs 9.9? Proverbs 9.9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, So we see that these Bereans were wise. They came ready to learn, and Paul was able to teach them. Matthew 23, 12 and 13. Matthew 23, 12 and 13. chapter. Not only are they preventing themselves from going into the kingdom of God, but they're trying to stir up the people and tell them they can't go. Just as the Pharisees did when Jesus was on the earth. And then finally, 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15. Present yourself to God 
is one that proves that workmen who does not need to be ashamed and then correctly handles the word of truth. This is another thing that the Bereans were, were doing. They were rightly dividing the word of truth. They were searching the scriptures daily to see if the things were true. We are to be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. As it says here that they were honorable. I want to be like the Bereans. Searching the scriptures to prove whether these things are so. It's very important for us to rightly divide the word of truth. D.L. Moody writes, I never saw a useful Christian who is not a student of the Bible. If a person neglects the Bible, there is not much for the Holy Spirit to work with. We must have the word. You know, it's a shame. The Pharisees and the Sanhedrin were required to be students of the word of God as they knew. But they failed to see Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus said of both Abraham and Moses, he's like, if you were of your father Abraham, then you would believe me. Because Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad. Somehow Jesus said, Abraham knew that a redeemer was coming. And he looked forward to that sure and certain hope. What did Job say? I know that my redeemer lives. And on the earth again will stand. And then he said, if you were Moses' disciples, you would believe in me because Moses testified of me. There's a specific passage in Deuteronomy that my dad read a couple weeks ago for his Palm Sunday message that a servant would arise and him you will hear. And that was talking about Jesus. But we need to be students of the word because the devil is an angel of light. He's not a red guy with a pitchfork. If he was, we could avoid him easier. Because I don't like spending time around pitchforks. But he's an angel of light. But he got cast out of heaven. Why? Because he said, I will be like the most high. I will ascend to the highest of heaven. And God said no. And he cast him out. Now one question that I still have is if he cast him out, why was he given audience before God in the book of Job? I don't know. Maybe I'll have the answer sometime in heaven. Maybe it won't be necessary. But I do kind of wonder about that one. But the point is, his power is subject to God. Everything that happened to Job went through God the Father's hand. 
He said, you can take Job's finances, that's fine, but don't touch his health. Then he said, you can take his health, but don't kill him. Because everything went through Jesus, God's hands. What an amazing promise that is to us. That anything that happens to us goes through the Father's hand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your almighty hand. We thank you, as you say in Colossians, that if we are yours, we are hid with Christ in God. Lord, I pray that everyone here would come to know Christ and him crucified, and that you would give the honor and the glory and the praise. Now be with us as we go our separate ways. Lord, I pray that you would make your face shine upon these saints and give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen.